0: Welcome back to the Defiant Spirit. I'm Baruch Levy, also known as B, and I want to thank you for taking the time to tune in and join me in this conversation. Now you have to bear with me in this uh, podcast because I'm just regaining my voice. Uh, I feel good enough to do a podcast, but I'm not sure it's going to uh, come through loud and clear. So you'll bear with me, and I'll do my best, and we'll have an important conversation together about one word, one idea that is at the center of my work. As you know, or if you don't know. I'm a logo therapist, a meaning-centered psychotherapist, but really a meaning-centered coach. That is the work that I am doing with people all day, every day, helping people discover their meaning, um, cultivate their purpose, understand their why of why they are here and how to translate that in a thousand different ways in their life. The vast majority of people I work with are in the, what I call the afternoon of life. And the afternoon of life defined by Carl Jung is 40 years onwards. And one of the reasons why is because I find by the afternoon of life at this juncture, ain't no escaping it. We have been kicked in the teeth. We have um, struggled. We have gone through enough life that not only are we ready and willing to change, uh, we need to change. We need to discover new ways of being in this world. And that's that's really where I um, resonate is helping people find new ways of being in the world, ways that are liberating freedom. And that's really at the heart of Viktor Frankl's work, Um, taking back our power to be free. And that means choosing, choosing our response, not living in reaction, not living stuck in ruts, stuck behind labels or within boxes and expectations and all of the stuff that we accumulate on the journey on the way from zero onwards but certainly the first half of life the morning half of life we wear so many different masks we wear so many different identities and and, and most of them are just handed to us from birth or per, prior to birth onwards we have identities around being somebody's son or daughter obviously we are all somebody's son and daughter. We are, you know, defined by our relationship with our siblings and our friends, our community, our culture, our religion, our society. There's a billion influences on who we are, on who we become. Many of those are wonderful. Many of those are liberating and we need identity, right? We need to wear the mask, persona, personality, a mask. It's not who we are. It's how we navigate the world. So I work with people to understand the personalities, the personas, the masks, the labels, the identities that they have received, that they have accumulated, that they have taken on, but not necessarily that they would have chosen, not necessarily something they want to continue to choose. So I work with people to identify these aspects of our lives, to understand where we've come from, but more importantly, to understand where we're going. One of the shifts of logotherapy, Frankl was very conscious about this, was to appreciate Jungian depth psychology, going inwards, going backwards, going into the depths of who we are. And I love depth psychology, and I love doing this depth shadow work, and I love going backwards to unpack it. But for Frankl, it is a fine line between nasal, navel gazing and Um, doing inner work. We can get lost in the past. We can get stuck in trying to work through what already was, what already has been done, and miss out on our power, our power to be present, to choose our response here and now, and to design our future. How are we going to move into that future? And that's height psychology. That's why Franco called it, (coughs) excuse me, height psychology versus depth psychology. They're both necessary. They're both beautiful. But height psychology is about understanding all of these identities, all of these masks, all of these ways we are in the world so that we can move forward consciously, proactively, with intention, by design. So let's talk about one word. And it's a word that I was challenged on. And I want to talk to you about that word, why I stand by it, and really what it means. And the word is defy. If you're watching on video, you can see behind me, defiant. If not, I said it 10 times probably in the introduction, defiant spirit. Defy your number. Why defy? It seems angry. It seems reactive. It seems forceful. It really is none of those things. In fact, it's the opposite. But let me give you some context for why defy. Maybe that's what I'll call this podcast. Look, a lot of the challenges that we face revolve around Becoming stuck, and this is again why I work with people midlife and onwards. Lots of transition moments too in those um, afternoon of life things. I work with lots of stay-at-home moms who are going out into the workforce, who are who are empty nests, who are reimagining themselves. I work with, work with a lot of people in general, men in particular, around professional stuckness, being stuck and having to reinvent themselves. I work with a lot of people facing or in retirement and these are transitions these are openings these are opportunities to get unstuck and so we come to these crossroads to these moments where we have to challenge why is it that we're stuck now we like to blame our circumstances we all do we like to blame other people we like to blame things outside of ourselves but the truth is it's always on me it's not on my circumstances it's not on my spouse it's not on my job it's not on anything other than baruch be me i choose either to react i choose to put on that identity i choose to forget myself behind that identity i choose to get stuck or more likely than not i choose not to choose which as the famous band rush said is still a choice And so I outsource my power, I wear these masks, I take on these identities, I get stuck. We all do. I have to take responsibility. And again, the people I work with are ready to take responsibility. They want the responsibility because if you don't have the responsibility, you don't have the power. If it's your spouse, if it's your kids, if it's your job, if it's uh, the President of the United States, it's, you're powerless, you're a victim, but you're not a victim. You have power to choose your response. And so why defy? What does this have to do with defy? Because I, again, am a student of Dr. Viktor Frankl. If you don't know Frankl, read Man's Search for Meaning, listen to many of my podcasts. One of Frankl's greatest contributions was not just his philosophy, which is truly a practical and remarkable philosophy, but it's where it came from. Now, he he created it um, in the 20s and 30s in Vienna, However, it was really born out of um, the Holocaust, out of the concentration camps. You know, this is a man who witnessed the ultimate atrocities. He experienced the ultimate of victimization. His wife was murdered. His unborn child was murdered. His parents, his sibling, his family, his friends, his community. He spent four years in four concentration camps. He went through hell. Read his story. Read any survivor's story and yet the man was never a victim. Why? Because of what he called the defiant power of the human spirit, of his spirit. The Nazis did many horrific things, but the reason why they were able to do these horrific things was because they weren't doing them to humans, not in their eyes, not in a Nazi soldier's eyes. What they did was they reduced them. This is true with all all genocides. This is true with all murders, all rapes, all abuses. You must, I imagine, dehumanize the other. It can't be your brother or sister. It can't be somebody you care about. It can't be a human being. So the Nazis, through a long process of propaganda, reduced Frankel, reduced Jews to numbers. Frankel was prisoner 119104. He was not Victor Frankel. He was a number. You can't dispose of people and of names, but you can dispose of numbers. Numbers are just things. As Martin Buber said, they're its. They're not vows. It's I, it. It's just an object. It's just a piece of trash. It's just vermin exterminated. And that's what the Nazis did. <clears throat> so they reduced this man in a million different ways. I've talked about this a lot before, but I'm, I want you to understand why defy. It can't be, um, you know, softer than that, it has to be that intense, because Frankel broke free of the Holocaust even while he was still incarcerated, how? Because like Mandela in um, Robben Island, like King in prison in, in Selma, all great men and women through history, have been saying the same thing. John McCain in uh, the POW camps, Frankel said because he always had the defiant power of his spirit, that was not for anybody to take, that was not for anybody to reduce, and that was always bigger than the cell that held him, that was always bigger than the concentration camp that reduced him and the Nazis that annihilated his family, but inside, within him, he always retained that place of freedom, and it became from the defiant power of the human spirit. Defiant. Defiant is not a soft word, and I don't invoke it lightly. Frankel said something both controversial but unequivocally true, and I stand by this. He said, you listening to this, God willing, will never know a concentration camp or anything remotely like it, but make no mistake. Frankl said, you will know your personal concentration camp. Let me say that again. You will know your personal concentration camp. Whoa, that's an overstatement. You know, how can you compare somebody suffering to the 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 millions of Jews and other people who've gone through genocides and atrocities? How does it compare? Suffering isn't comparative. Suffering is particular. It's particular to you. Whatever you're going through, whatever you're experiencing, that's yours and yours alone. I can't know it. I can't understand it. I can't judge it. However, Frankel said, and I know this to be true, having gone through it and guided so many people through it. We all have a personal concentration camp. So we, you know, I don't say this lightly. I mean, I've I have witnessed firsthand the devastation of people's lives when they feel like they are reduced, when they are in their concentration camp. I've talked about it many times before. Talk about it again, my dad. My dad's world just got smaller and smaller. His his business fell apart, his marriage fell apart, his friendships fell apart, his community fell apart, his identity fell apart. However, there are many reasons why he committed suicide. Um, There just are, I wrote a book on it, you can read about it, I'm happy to talk about it. Not happy, but um, it's important to talk about it. And um, there's a thousand reasons. My father, however, at the end of the day, I know my dad, he felt reduced to numbers. And his numbers, his particular numbers, he didn't have a tattoo that said 119104. No, his numbers came down to money. My dad was so deeply entrenched in fear around money as so many people listening are. And he defined himself by his money. He he was such a good man. He just got into comparative happiness, comparative success, defining his self-worth by his net worth. And, and one of the things he said in a, in a general suicide note um, was that he could do more good for us on the other side than this side. But what it really came down to was my father felt reduced to numbers and he lost his way professionally. He couldn't find his way back, he had a mountain of debt. This is a very common theme for lots of people who commit suicide, particularly men, and particularly at that juncture in life. And it just breaks my heart that my father lived in that concentration camp of numbers. However, he's not alone. Do you know how many numbers are in our lives reducing us to a concentration camp? You think this is an exaggeration? Let me tell you about a woman I counseled who has spent her entire life incarcerated, walking free out in the world, but incarcerated behind numbers. Three numbers that stare up from her at the scale, from the scale the numbers of her weight. I mean, think about that. Think about those numbers. How much do you weigh? I want you to turn to the person next to you and tell them how much you weigh. Crickets, uh, particularly women, but also men I find in this day and age, grapple with those numbers. How can you not? Everything in our society says, get those numbers down, get them lower, look a certain way, right? Be fit. Be appealing, this is attractive, and it all revolves around numbers. Now, it's not just the numbers on the scale. It then gets into our eating habits, our our dietary habits, developing unhealthy dietary habits, who we see staring back back at us in the mirror. This woman has struggled so mightily with her weight that all she sees is a fat woman staring back at her. She's a lovely human being. She is absolutely gorgeous inside and out she doesn't see that. She doesn't see that person staring back at her. All she sees are prison cells right in the mirror. She can't even look in the mirror. And we've been working on this. I always change details and names to protect the innocent, so you won't guess who she is. But this is so common, it's not surprising. You know this. You probably have grappled with some variation of this and maybe around those numbers of of pounds, of kilograms, however you measure your weight. So um, those, those numbers staring back from the scale, maybe they were 150 or 200, I don't know what they were, I wouldn't even presume to guess, but whatever it was, to her, all she saw is failure, is shame, is worthlessness, is, is less than human, is not deserving of love. How is that any different than Frankel in the Holocaust or anybody incarcerated or reduced to a number? whether it's a prison number on the back of your jumpsuit or whether it's the the number staring back from the scale or it's my father's diminishing numbers in his checkbook, numbers have the power to reduce us if we outsource our power to them. If we hand it over to them, they become uh, a prison for us. I know I have spoke about this before, but it's so important because so many people are reduced by numbers. There's numbers of age. I'm struggling with my age, folks. For me, I'm now on the other side of 50. Um, it's it's catching up with me in, in some ways. I'm having a hard time running and so forth. And I've really been grappling with the numbers. I don't need to be told, oh, you're so young, or 50 is the new 60, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter. It, this is my struggle. And there's something profound in there for me. So logotherapy is about going into the struggle, going into the suffering, going into the numbers and taking back our power. But that doesn't come lightly. That doesn't come through just saying om, 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 which I say every morning, but it doesn't come through just journal writing happy thoughts or telling myself positive affirmations, all which have their place. It comes from the defiant power of the human spirit for me to grapple with my age, for her to grapple with her weight, for somebody like my dad to grapple with their salary, their income, their net worth, for you to grapple with your height is a number or your zip code, where you live, where you don't live, I mean, and it's not just literally numbers, right? Numbers represent boxes. They represent confinement. So maybe it's a it's an identity. You're married, but you want to be divorced, or you're divorced, but you still feel married. Maybe it's um, maybe it's a, a professional title. I I became reduced by my title, rabbi, which is why I don't go by rabbi. I'm still a rabbi. I don't want it. I don't need it. It felt reductionistic to me. I that's that's how I was perceived, and I and I really struggled with it. It was a number. It was quantifying it was limiting it reduced me not to everybody the point is is figure out your identity the hats you wear the roles you play the numbers that you are engaged with and how they can consume you addiction of all types revolves around numbers what was the last drink how long have I been sober numbers 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 are not what they seem numbers are a pathway to hell because numbers are um, the antithesis of what Frankel calls the defiant spirit. It, spirit is expansive. It's uncontained. It's irreducible, and that's why defy. Because when you're up against those numbers on the scale, it ain't enough to say, "I wish I could get over these numbers. I wish I could take back my life. I wish I could eat normally. I wish I could, I could enjoy." Um, the food. I wish I liked the person staring back at me in the mirror. You think that's just gonna happen? This is the work of a lifetime to defy your number. And it is an act of defiant and it is effort and it is about the power to defy. And yes, I stand by defy because the the African slaves, people who were enslaved in this country and who broke the bondage of slavery, right who, who became emancipated and liberated and all that that effort took the men and women who fought for that emancipation the the slaves in of of egypt in uh you know the ancient israelites going from slavery to freedom anybody who has fought through addiction anybody who has gone through recovery anybody who has struggled with uh, taking back their their self-worth after a bad marriage or getting free from the 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 numbers on the bank account and 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 the fears, right, that that brings, all those things are acts of defiance. They don't come lightly. In some ways, a piece of you has to die in order to be emancipated, to be liberated, to be free. You have to go into this difficult, challenging, dark place to wrestle with those numbers, to understand what they do to you, to understand where you've lost your power, how you've outsourced it, where you've gone. That is ultimately how we defy. That is ultimately how we break free. So the bottom line is, it is time to take back our power, our power to choose our response, our power to not live confined, consolidated, limited by those numbers. You deserve more. You are here for more. Your playing small serves no one. Your your pathway through the struggle, through the addiction, through just being stuck, through just being uh, unrooted and and lost and confused, or, or just living with not knowing where to go a sense of meaninglessness is going to take an act of defiance the defiant power of the human spirit so that's why defy if you want to learn more about how to defy or why to defy i have lots of information now growing on my podcast defiantspirit.org um, podcast you can get all my podcasts you can get videos got a youtube channel reach out to me I would love to work with you on cultivating the defiant spirit, on mapping it out using the Enneagram. The next uh, podcast I'll revisit defy your number as it relates to the Enneagram. And ultimately, um, lots of pathways and strategies to make this a reality so that it just doesn't live in this theory. It's important to start with the theoretical important to start with the philosophical and the inspiration but now what now what do i do with that that's why we need to learn how to defy our number and live our spirit and that is the work together we can do so thank you for listening to the defiant spirit podcast with me your host dr baruch Halevi. if you like what you heard please consider leaving a five-star review and share this podcast with others to learn more about the defiant spirit and get more inspirational content, or see how we might work together to live your Defiant Spirit, visit defiantspirit.org. Until then, take back your power and live your Defiant Spirit.